0: When it comes to creation, so many want to just claim it as myth. Others tend to look at it as ages, something that took thousands of years to do. But as we explore Genesis chapter 1, we see something vastly different. And if we take a look at the rest of Scripture as it supports what is written here in Genesis chapter 1, we come to the conclusion that God is really quite amazing. This is Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely, and today Leighton will take us back to Genesis chapter 1. We'll catch up with him here in verse 31 as we close out the sixth day of creation and explore exactly what God is doing. Here's Pastor Leighton Sheely now as we get today's broadcast of Study Verse by Verse underway. Verse 31.
1: And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God took a look at what he did, and he, and he, and he, and he said, this is very good. And this is contrary to what some religions and philosophies teach, that, that nature is inherently evil. It's not. It's fallen, but it's not evil. Chapter 2. Thus the the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now the word Sabbath doesn't appear in this paragraph, but Moses is really talking about the Sabbath, which is the seventh day of of the week. Uh, In fact, seventh... Is, uh, is mentioned three times in two verses. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word that means to cease working or to rest. It's also related to the word for seven. And seven comes from a meaning, uh, a root meaning, meaning to be uh, complete. Rested means to cease from activity. There's, there's no impl- implication here that God rested because he was tired. After he had done this creation, he, he simply stopped creating because it was done. It was complete. It was very good. So on the seventh day, God ceased his work of creating the world. But he did not cease his work of sustaining and maintaining the world, the world. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because it commemorated the completion of his creative work. And it became a predominant idea throughout Scripture. Before the fall, it represented complete uh, uh, creation. And after the fall, it became a goal to be sought. Now, notice that God didn't command Adam to abstain from work on the Sabbath. That came later with the law of Moses. But Scripture does teach the importance of periodic rest. And Jesus pointed out that God established a day of rest for the benefit of people, not the other way around. So Sabbath observance is not to become a legalistic obligation. In fact, sometimes a person has to do work on the Sabbath. Jesus talked about the ox stuck in the ditch. And Jesus healed people on the Sabbath, which made the legalists very, very upset. The seventh day of the week... The Jewish Sabbath symbolizes the old creation and the covenant of law. First you work, then you rest. But the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, symbolizes the new creation and the covenant of grace. First you believe in Christ and thereby rest, and then you work. Now, so far, this narrative has focused on creation in general with a brief reference to mankind, but beginning in verse 4 of chapter 2, a more detailed account focusing on the creation of humankind uh, is given to us. And Moses gives it to us because this is important for us to understand in order to understand what's happening next in chapter 3. In order to understand what's happening in chapter 3, we have to understand what's happening in chapter 2. In order for us to understand what's happening in chapter 2, we have to understand what's happening in chapter 1. It all bills Now, if your translation has a paragraph, header, or a pericope, it might read something like the creation of man and woman. <clears throat> Verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Now, if I don't point it out, it, it might be lost upon us that there is a change that takes place in verse 4 <clears throat> related to the name of God. In Beginning in verse 4 of chapter 2, the Creator is called the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Elohim is the name that's used in the first chapter, and it stresses and emphasizes the power of God. Yahweh is the name of God where He reveals Himself and cares for mankind. And so the double title is to stress that the God of creation is also the God who comes into relationship with mankind and cares for His creation. This revelation contradicts a deistic notion that God created everything initially and then just let it run on its own. God not only created everything, He not only rules everything, He's the one who is involved in everything as well. It's interesting that the passage indicates God needed someone to till the earth. God created the earth to provide an environment where God and man could work together, and so He put the man, Adam, into the garden to do the work of tilling the soil and caring for it. And it's the most unfortunate statistic of our fallen world that about 80% of people do not enjoy the work they do every day, 80%. In fact, some of them think of it as a curse. Work was not designed to be a curse as God designed it. It was intended to be a blessing. It was only after mankind sinned that work became a toil. That was not God's original intention. God has given each of us abilities and talents and opportunities, and so we need to discover what they are, what God has given us to do in this world that can benefit others and glorify Him. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. So we don't uh, encounter a rain until the Genesis flood. And the absence of rain in the presence of this mist had left some to postulate a canopy theory where the world was covered by a canopy of water vapor um, and that protected us from the sun's destructive rays and allowed people and, to live much longer and also distributed the heat uh, more evenly over the face of the planet. In fact, it's, we're told this is, this is the kind of covering that's on Venus, although it's much hotter. And uh, that this canopy was broken up uh, with the flood and uh, we find uh, there's articles recently written about uh, the Mastodons uh, that were found in Siberia by the tens of thousands. I think it was actually hundreds of thousands that were all of a sudden frozen in place. There was a, such a dramatic uh, climate shift that they were going about their business and instantaneously they were frozen. And uh, that could be connected with this, but again, it's only a... Theory. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Although God created light with merely a word, the work of the Lord in creating humankind involved fashioning from the dust and in-breathing. The word formed describes the work of an artist like a potter shaping an earthen vessel of clay. And so man was shaped from the clay, from the dust of the earth. In fact, the Hebrew word for man is related to the Hebrew word for ground. And God breathed into him the breath of life, transforming him into a living being. This made mankind a spiritual being with the capacity of serving and fellowshipping with God. And so with this in mind, we can see the significance of the fall. And since the fall, the regeneration of inbreathing by the Holy Spirit is essential for people to enjoy a fellowship with God. Verse 8 And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Mankind was placed in a perfect setting, an arena for testing his obedience. It's described as being a lavish garden with trees and rivers and mankind was told that they could enjoy it all except for one forbidden tree. The name Eden means delight or place of much water, and so it suggests this was a paradise created by God. Biblical history begins with a beautiful garden in which mankind sinned. It ends with a glorious garden city where there will be no sin, and the change was brought about by yet another garden called the Garden of Gethsemane in which Jesus surrendered to the Father's will to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. The Bible is filled with gardens. Verse 9, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that garden was filled with pleasant sights and smells and tastes. Uh, Adam and Eve had plenty of excellent food, the best fruits and vegetables in history. There were no pesticides, there's no GMO, and there's no Monsanto. And God placed two really special trees in the midst of the garden, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, eating from the first. Would confer immortality, eating from the second would experience good and evil, but also bring death, so when they disobeyed God they 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 could discriminate between good and evil, but they were filled with sin and eventually died and, and This is one of the basic truths that is repeated throughout scripture from the beginning to the end that obedience to God brings blessing and disobedience brings judgment. Verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. Uh, It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and Oxstone are there. The name of the second river is Gion, and it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east from Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. We don't know anything about the first two rivers, but we know that there are rivers today that are called the Tigris and the Euphrates. So some people say, well, why don't we just trace those rivers back to where they start, and we'll find the Garden of Eden. But what that theory fails to realize is there have been a lot of geological changes over the time, including the flood, and so we don't know where the Garden of Eden is.
0: But we do know where the tree of life is. And that is what we long for. Home. Heaven. Much more to consider, and we will do so as our studies continue this week here on Study Verse by Verse in the Book of Genesis, an amazing series taking a look at the beginnings, the creation, all that God has designed, and just how magnificent it really is. We trust our series in Genesis will provide you with the necessary tools to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, especially in our current culture that we face which is so diametrically opposed to the gospel and the beginnings here in Genesis. More on Genesis tomorrow as we study verse by verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. Join us then.